This morning, we're going to start out in John chapter 13, um, verse 34. And uh, so we are starting a new series this week. So you're here, good timing. We're starting a new series on community. And so we're going to be just talking about, teaching about community. What is community? What does community look like for the River Church? How do we want to do community? Um, What is that uh, for us? And it's going to be a five-week series. And so in, I think it's the first week in May, we're actually, our goal is to launch small groups at the end of this series. And so um, if we were a brand new church, we just started in January. And so we've just kind of started getting used to having Sunday morning church services, right? And so what we've been kind of getting in the swing of things is getting here, getting all this set up in this awesome movie theater, getting going, having, having great, having impactful worship, teaching the word. We've been getting really good at doing church services, but we want to move from just doing church services to living and being the church together. Does that make sense? And so that's kind of where this series is hoping to take us. Um, we want to be the church together. And so that's more than just me getting up here and teaching on Sunday mornings and us worshiping together. This is like the party every week, right? Like this is what we hope is every week you get to look forward to this. You're excited to come here. You're excited to to worship together. And God um, just reaches down and touches your life. We get to worship together. You hear the word preached. But this isn't the goal for us as a church. That makes sense. Like Sunday morning service isn't the goal for us as a church. We want church to be lived out in your week together. Does that make sense? All of us together living together in community together. And so that's kind of where we're trying, we're hoping to take this series so that you'll see that Sunday morning isn't the goal, but Christ lived out and community lived out in our lives together is the goal of the River Church. That's where we want to be. Um, Yeah. So, um, and as we start, I was kind of laughing about this. I kind of have to give a disclaimer. Um, as we, as we start this series. So um, if you're a part of, you play on a football team or a baseball team, or you're a hairstylist or every kind of people group or just groups of people has their own kind of language that they use. Does that make sense? So like if you're on a, if you play baseball, strike, the word strike means something to you. If you're a bowler, the word strike means something totally different in baseball, right? And so we do that in the church too, where we kind of have like church lingo or church words that you're just kind of like, if you come in here and it's, you know, you've never been in this group. I I was like thinking about this. I don't want to confuse anybody. You walk in and I start talking about community, doing community together. We're going to do community. And you're like, what is this weird guy talking about? What is this community? Like, right? And so I want to kind of say, I want to define that term. When I say community, there's different types of community. Like DFW is a community, Right? The River Church is a smaller community. We here are a community. But then, and so we're going to talk about that a lot, but what I really, where this series is hoping to take us is even more in depth to your personal community that you experience every day, meaning the relationships that you have every day, the friendships that you have every day, the people that are your daily community. You see what I'm saying? And so that's kind of, when, I, when I'm using the phrase community, what I'm mainly going to be talking about is our church community, so our church family, and then your daily community, the people that are in your lives daily. You with me? Yeah. All right. So John uh, 13, verses 34. This is kind of the goal of our community groups. So when we start small groups, we launch small groups, um, this is kind of the goal of our the small groups, and this is really the goal of our um, church in a lot of ways, is this. It says, just Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must also love one another. 
And then in 35, he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How, how will they know? If you have loved one another. So we really want to focus on that. That's kind of the goal, the hope for community groups. He says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You must love one another. We want love for one another to be the focus of our, of our church, how we do. The focus is Jesus, number one. But in the interaction with each other and how we treat each other, our um, what we hope for each other, um, our motivation for one another, we want that to be wrapped up totally in love. And I'm not talking about love like the frilly little puppy dog, you know, like you think of like teenagers in love, like I'm in love, right? No, we're talking about something. Actually, you know what's funny is when I was a youth pastor, I would tell kids like, don't date in high school. It's a waste of your time. You're never gonna get married. But then we'd like have, then they would like actually do that. They would date throughout high school, get married and be like, yeah, listen to my youth pastor. He's an idiot. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Um, but we're, what, what I mean is love deeper than that. Like love takes all shapes and sizes. Love isn't always like the frilly little um, red hearts that you think about in Valentine's. Love sometimes is hard. Love speaks hard truth. Love speaks reality into yours and mine's life when we don't want to hear it. Like, like it's real love to tell someone the truth and speak real truth into their life even though they don't want to hear it. And even though it's going to, it might even affect your relationship with them negatively if, if, negatively. if you love someone deep enough, you push into those issues, right? Like love is, is speaking the truth into someone's life because you love them enough to say it, even though it's going to be hard. So we want, that's what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about love is something deeper. Love speaks hard truth. Love holds accountable. Love also forgives and love heals and love stands with you when everything else around you is falling apart. Whenever times get hard, whenever people get sick, whenever there's no one else to stand with you, love stands with you. And that's the goal, the focus, the hope for our community here at the church, at the River Church, our hope for small groups, is that we would, that would be the DNA of who we are. The DNA, that, that would be our culture. Secondly, we want to look like this. This is, this is another reason why we're having community groups is Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. So, um, so Peter, so Jesus has just, he's died on the cross. He's resurrected. Now we have hope in him. We have salvation. He leaves. He goes back up. He ascends back up into heaven. And this is where this verse takes place is Peter stands up and he's preaching to all these people. He's, the Holy Spirit's coming. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's about to, to, he preaches. And all of a sudden, people start getting saved. Here's what verse 41 says. So those who accepted his message, Peter's message, were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to him. So about 3,000 people get saved on this day. And this is before Christianity has been established. This is before there's a place like Dallas-Fort Worth where you can literally throw a rock and hit eight churches, right? This is before all of that. And so there's no established Christian church. So there's all these people, 3,000 people get saved in one day. And here's what the scripture says. Here's how the church operated. In verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. So what does that look like for us? We want to operate in those three things as a church as well. We want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to Jesus' teaching. We, this is, if you take deeper class, you'll see this is um, the standard by which we run our church. 
this is God's word, and it is, we take it very seriously, and this is, man, what it says is what we do, right? And so we want to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching. That's kind of what we have going on here. I want to stand up. I want to teach. I, we want to preach the scriptures. Um, we are, want to be a praying church. That's why at the end of the service, we'll give you an opportunity man, to respond. If Jesus is talking to you, you have an opportunity to come down. There's people that will pray with you. Um, we pray all throughout the service. We want to be a praying church. But then there's that third thing that they talk about that the, that the apostles or that the new converts did together. It says they... they devoted themselves to the fellowship and the breaking of bread. What that means is they lived life together. They walked um, step by step together. They were in each other's houses. They were eating together. They were fellowshipping together. They, were, they had relationships with one another. They were in community together. They lived life together. And so that's our hope, our reason for wanting to launch small groups and community groups is that we want to be a church that isn't just here on Sunday mornings, but we have groups of people that are living life together, walking in life together, providing accountability together, providing hope together, for providing love for each other, creating a family together. That's, that's what we hope to be. And so our hope is that you would break bread together and that you would become a family um, together. And this is, uh, if you think about this idea, it's kind of, countercultural, you know? Like if you think of just the American mindset and what America, um, just our, our, not, well, yeah, our, our, I guess our nation, the way that we're brought up and trained is that um, this is something that's different. Like, because there's this problem that is prevalent that impacts every single person. And sometimes it's hard to identify. It's hard to see. It's hard to understand. But there's this thing that happens in each one of us that will experience it at some point. And what we want to do is set up community, strong community and strong family here so that this impacts you as little as possible. And it's this thing called isolation and loneliness. See what, it doesn't matter if you live in a big city, small city, surrounded by millions of people, surrounded by one person, isolation and loneliness sometimes will hit us hard and at home. And, and if you um, look at our culture, we struggle with this isolation problem now more than ever. Like I was doing some research and Duke University and the U.S. Census did this kind of study together. And what they suggest is that our society, so our nation, is in one of the most dramatic slides toward what they call disconnect in human history. And so what they saw here is that in America, 27.2 million people live life alone is the way that they said it. They said um, more people now than in any time since they've been collecting this data um, feel alone than any other time. They said that 25% of people, so that's one in four people, feel like they have no one that they would consider a confidant. So what is that? Someone to rely on, someone to lean on, someone to talk to, someone to, to help you, someone when, when things get hard, when it hits the fan, to walk through life with you. One in four people. Guys, that is depressing, right? Doesn't that just make you proud to be alive right now? You're like, oh, that stinks, right? That's so sad. It, it breaks my heart as I was looking at that. They said that more people now than ever link their depression. So when they people who are depressed link their depression to loneliness as the reason for why I'm depressed. I think I'm depressed because I'm lonely than any other time in history. We link depression with loneliness. 
And they said here, it's kind of, here's the final one. It says the number of socially, what they would, they would call socially isolated Americans has doubled since 1985. That is crazy, right? And so what that, what that speaks to me and, and to us is that we live in a culture that is used to doing life and living life on their own. And like, if you, if you think about it, all of the, uh, like, like I think of the, the picture, like I lived in Georgia for a little while. And so you have the, like, you think of the, the picture of, uh, um, for some reason, before I moved there, this is what I thought of Georgia was people sitting out on their front porches, drinking peach tea and uh, hanging out with their neighbors, right? It's beautiful. Is that what it's like? Is that, is that it? Yeah, that's pretty much it, right? Yeah. Um, and that, but that's what I, that's how I kind of saw it, right? And, but that's like when I think of community, right? You have people sitting out, neighbors hanging out, sitting on the front porch, drinking tea together, just enjoying life together. But that, sh- if that ever was true, I don't know if it was, I've never experienced that. But even if that was true, that dramatically shifted throughout, I, I think in the 90s, because what happened is you have these houses being built, and my house has this too, so I'm not preaching the choir, but where we have garages. And so what we do is we start our day, we pull out of our garage, we go to work, we sit in our cubicle, we live our life, we come back home, we drive back into our garage, don't see anybody outside in the garage, walk through the garage, into our house, cook our microwave dinner and watch TV shows called Friends and Seinfeld and The Office where people hang out and have real relationships, right? (laughs) Just saying. But there's this shift that happened and it's just, it's sad, right? It's depressing. And so this is, in a sense, what we want to do is respond to that. And we want to address that, and we want to fight that, and we want to create family that loves each other, that knows each other, that lives life together. And look, we're a new church. We're brand new, so there's people in here that maybe haven't even met each other yet, and that's okay. We'll get there, right? We'll get there. Because what we want to do is respond to it in a different way than uh, the, our world has responded to it. How do you think, I'll just give, I'll, I'd never do this, but I'm going to, how do you think America, our, the American response is, what do you think it is to um, loneliness? Anybody have an idea? You want to throw up a hand, take a shot at it? What do you think the American, here's what I thought, thought of it. What would you say? He got it, Facebook. The American, our, our culture's response to loneliness is Facebook. It's hard to make friends, so what we'll do is we'll set up an internet site where we can be whoever I want to be, act like whoever I want to like, and I can have millions and millions of Facebook friends, right? And like, you're like, oh, this stupid preacher, man. He's talking about Facebook. Now if I get on Facebook, he's going to like judge me. I have a Facebook. We utilize Facebook for the church. I'm not saying Facebook is bad. As a matter of fact, there's a guy that I can't pronounce his name, um, but he work, he's a neuroscientist for the University of Chicago, and he says social networking sites, are, like, are, they're good. It says that they should serve as a supplement, um, but not a replacement for face-to-face interaction. So what happens is we replace real relationships with Facebook. And so instead of like this thing is, is the idea is to help our loneliness and help our isolation. But in fact, if we're not careful, it's, he said the advances in technology, while not bad, will have the potential to lead us um, into more isolated loneliness. And he said, especially if we replace authentic and vulnerable and face-to-face relationship with this controlled and less genuine social media relationships. The key there isn't that Facebook or any of those things are bad. I'm just saying that that's kind of our culture's response to that. But what, it, but what is bad is what it's replacing and what we want community groups and small groups and our family here at the church to be the answer for 
is authentic, vulnerable, and face-to-face relationships. I think the best answer to the, to the loneliness and the isolation crisis, if we want to call it that, is community. The, the truth is that we crave belonging. I think that, I, I know that God has placed in you and I an intrinsic need to belong, an intrinsic need to have relationships, an, intrin- an intrinsic need to have family and genuine community. Why? Because we have a communal God. He exists in the Trinity, three in one. God exists in community, and I believe that he created us for community with him, to have a relationship with him, to know him, but also to live in relationship with each other, right? Life, this, it's on our, if you go to our website, it's one of the first things you'll see. Don't live life alone. We were not created to live life alone. Loneliness and isolation aren't in God's plan for you. That's not what he created you to live in. He created you to live in relationship um, and community and um, accountability with other Christians and other believers so that you challenge each other, you love each other, you walk deeply through life together so that you're not alone, but we do this together. Life is designed to be lived out with other believers in deep, rich, and full relationship. And that's good news. That's actually a very good thing, y'all. And here's the beauty of the church. Here's what I love about the church. Is they say that the church is built up of this beautiful thing. The church is built up of natural enemies. The, the church is built up of people of different socioeconomic backgrounds. So people who have more money, less money. The church is built up of people of uh, different ethnic backgrounds. The church is built up of people of different political backgrounds. The church is built up of people of different ages, right? Age, shape, size, whatever. The church is so diverse and it is beautiful. But here's the beautiful thing that I love about the church. It doesn't matter what background you come from, how um, diverse, how different we are. We have one thing in common as Christians, and that is the foundation that allows us to have beautiful community and relationship. And that foundation is Jesus. What we have is a foundation in him that allows us to start there. And no matter how different we are, as a matter of fact, our differences are beautiful. They, they, that's what makes the church beautiful. But from there, we have a foundation to build on and create relationship and community together. As a matter of fact, um, when I lived in, in Butler, Georgia, when I, when I was a youth pastor, so Dallas-Fort Worth has about 7 million people. Butler was a little bit smaller. The county had 14,000 people. So literally, like in this neighborhood or apartment complex over here, there's probably more people than the entire county that I lived in before we moved here, right? But what I loved about that place is... Again, I'm from Dallas. I lived in Butler, Georgia, middle of nowhere. Um, I'm, I'm from Dallas, so I grew up 7 million people. Like Literally, I Googled Starbucks one time, and there was 30 within five, a five-mile radius of my house. In Butler, where we lived, you had to drive 45 minutes to get to a Starbucks and hope it was open. Okay, um, right. So a little bit different. But I loved that church and some of the deepest, most beautiful relationships, most Christ-like relationships that I have ever had were in that church. In spite of the fact that if you put me in there, you're like, this dude does not belong, right? You remember that Sesame Street thing, which one of these things doesn't belong? I was that thing, right? (laughs) 
If you put me and, and two of my best friends from that church, guys, a guy named uh, Walt and a guy named Mitch, two of my closest friends I love to this day, if you put us in a room together with 100 other people and you said, who are the guys, who are the two guys that Mike will most least likely be friends with, you would have picked those guys. Because what they were, were were two guys that were, I won't call them old because they're not old. They're just significantly older than me. And they were guys that were old rockers um, and just honestly just old druggies, man. Like, at the best, they're going to listen to this sermon. So I'm sorry, Walt and Mitch, if you heard this, but you know it's true. Um, but just old druggies, man. I'm talking grew up in the 60s and 70s, LSD, you know, all, cocaine. If, you, if there's a drug, they, they experimented with it, right? And then in their 40s, they were radically saved by Jesus. And so here comes me, this little punk kid, you know, 20-year-old guy walking into this church, and somehow we became best friends. How did that happen? It, the foundation was the gospel. The foundation was, was Jesus that, that we, so even though we had nothing else in common, what we had in common was Jesus. And I, to this day, I talked to Mitch. We text back and forth once a week at least. He always gives me a hard time about the church. I mean, he's texting me, asking me questions about the church. Like my be- some of my best friends to this day. So what's the point of that entire story is that in, no matter how different we are, community is not only possible, but I, it's even better because we're different. And then we have that foundation in Jesus that allows us to have community. And then we get to celebrate in our differences and learn from each other. One of my favorite quotes is, um, every man is better than me in some way in that I learn of him. And so we, each one of us are different. Each one of us can learn from each other. And in our diversity, we get to be better as a community and stronger as a community because we have a foundation in Jesus. So we celebrate our diversity, but we have a common bond in Jesus. And our hope is to pursue both purpose and community together through relationships and small groups. And um, we, our hope is that small groups will be the backbone of the River Church. So like I said, we, this is a great, we, we love this. We want to preach the gospel. We want to worship together. But we hope this is the party at the end of the week. But we want the lifeblood of the church to be small groups that's lived out week by week day by day, together. Are you with me on that? I hope so, because that's where we're going, man. (laughs) Right? So um, there's this uh, beautiful thing that that happens in small groups. There's this beautiful thing that happens when Christians live life together and walk together in community. And at the end of the day, it's called transformation. Jesus transforms us together together. And it's um, the most beautiful thing. There's this, uh, in Romans 12, 1, there's this uh, phrase that says, 12, 2, says, do not be conformed by this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? And, and that idea, that picture there, transformed, is this beautiful word that is, is, is both speaking in the present and in the, or in the, basically in the past, but then a continuing, uh, presently happening. And what that idea is that God has as, as Christians, so he's speaking to the Christian, and he says, as a Christian, God has transformed you, meaning we were saved, we've given our life to Jesus. He's brought us from death into life. He's brought us from no relationship with Jesus to relationship with him. So it's like he has transformed you, Christian. But not only has he transformed you, it's like it has a double meaning. It's a beautiful picture because he has transforming you, but he is still transforming you. And that gives me hope, right? Because I, I still have a lot of transforming I need to do, right? 
But God has transformed us and he is still transforming us. And we want small groups to be an avenue that Jesus comes in and he transforms us daily together as one people. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band. You guys can go ahead and come on up. And so I'm just going to close with this. Here's our, ultimately the end goal of groups is this, is that picture, life transformation. And, and we want that to be played out in a few different ways. One is this, we want God to transform our sin. We talked about, if you were here for the four cup series, we talked about how one of those cups is God wants to heal you of the sin in your life. So once we were saved, right, we've never, nobody, you're not perfect after you give your life to Jesus. If, if you've ever, if there's anybody, if there's been somebody who's never struggled after they were saved, right, I want to meet that guy, right? Because we all have sins that have um, really dug deep roots within us. And so part of that life transformation is God working in yours and mine's lives to free us from that sin that, that Paul says has a hold on us. And then the second part of that is that he would heal us from old wounds and old scars because in, in that transformation, what happens is sometimes we get so focused on um, being healed from sin that we forget that because we've lived life, we have wounds and we have scars and we have these things that have cut us that God wants to heal us from also. We, we want life transformation to be both of that because if you don't deal with the wounds, if you only deal with the sin, then what happens is what? The wounds um, get infected and they fester up and then you become this bitter old. Even though you're a Christian, no one wants to be around you because you're just bitter and mean and angry. We want that to be life transformation to be both from, from sin and out of sin and, but to healing of old wounds and old scars. The second thing we hope for our um, small groups to do is to transform us to mission. What does that mean? Is that we don't want our small groups and our community just to be about us, but we want to be outward focused. We say it this way. We want to be on purpose for a purpose. And so we want our small groups to be mission-minded as well as just relationally-minded. We've, we've, I've even talked to, there's a couple that are very missionally-minded in the church and talked to them about possibly leading a group where um, once a month they go out and they do homeless ministry together or they minister to the community. So we want our groups to be not only inward-focused but focused on mission. We want to be on mission together as a church because it's not about me, right? And then finally, we want our small groups to create a culture of transformation within our church. So what I mean by that is we want um, to be transformed people who are filled, where we're filled with people who care more about each other than ourselves. We want to create a culture where we have a church and a family who care more about each other than ourselves. We want to create a culture where people ask, don't ask what's in it for me, but how can I serve? We want to create a culture where there's a safe place to confess sin. Where you can walk in and say, man, here's just what I'm dealing with, dude. And it's hard, but, but I feel safe to confess this to you and to talk and to walk through this with you. That's the kind of culture we want our groups to, to live in and be. We want our small groups to be a place where we care about coming in and seeing people get saved. Life transformation is what we want to be. So here's, here's just how we'll close out the service like we always do. Let's stand together. And as we end and, and the band's going to play, I, I want to invite um, our link team. You guys can go ahead and come on down. And we're going to just give an opportunity. We, if, if you're new here, here's how kind of we close out the services. Is, um, we worship God together 
for what he's done and is doing in our lives. And then we also just give an opportunity, if you need somebody to pray with, if you need to talk to somebody about anything going on in your life, we have these guys that are hanging out. They have the name, the badges on, the River Church badges, and they're there to talk with you, to pray for you. If you need any of that, we're here for you, okay? But so as we close, I want to direct us to worship God in this way. Let's worship him because he didn't design us to live life alone. He didn't design us to be on our own. He designed us and created us to live in community, in relationship with other believers where we can walk through life together and not do it by ourselves. And let's worship him because that also means that he desires a relationship with you and him. That's his hope for you. So I'm gonna let these guys, let's worship together. He's a good God for those reasons.